0: What a blessed morning we've had, huh? We've gathered together. We have sung together. We've prayed together. We've got to witness a a baptism together. And now we've just got to pray for some of those within our church family who are headed out to East Africa to do some rather remarkable things in service to Jesus. Now, what we just got to pray for is pretty amazing if you think about it. We've got people headed out into East Africa, taking holiday off from work, giving away their money and their time, compromising their safety to some degree, of course, and going to serve Jesus in these contexts. That is a kind of work that we as a church will always get behind. That kind of work is, is, is a work we have always been about, and we always will. We want to be about this kind of stuff. We want to be the kind of people who pray and support and give and ask for feedback. We want to know all of this kind of stuff. We absolutely love it, this kind of stuff. But I wonder if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking to yourself, Absolutely, James. What, what those people, are, what they're doing is amazing. I feel encouraged. I feel inspired. I feel challenged what they do is amazing but the thing is James when you look at my life um, my life's a little bit more mundane I mean if you look at my life my life is full of routines and rhythms and responsibilities because I just live in normal everyday life Uh, James I love what those people are doing And I've got other people in my life whom I know who've sold everything they have and they're going to serve the Lord in very down and out contexts. And I love that. But if you look at my life, James, I'm just not quite there. You see, my life is full of routines. My life is full of rhythms and responsibilities and there's a repetition to it. My life is just everyday, ordinary life. There's a monotony to it. I'm just not really there. Now, maybe for a lot of you this morning, you you come up against this beautiful work that people do, this radical work of giving stuff away, of selling things and going to serve the poor in different contexts, different countries, dangerous, risky, wonderful places. And you see that kind of stuff and you say, that is definitely the real work. That, what we've just heard, that is the real work. But my life, I don't know, it's just normal just normal, everyday life. There's routines, rhythms, and responsibilities. And, and maybe this is a good guess. But I reckon there's going to be quite a large proportion of people in this room who kind of live with this low-level, humming, background guilt. But somewhere in our lives, in our minds and our hearts, we look at our lives, we see the monotony, we see the ordinariness, We see the earthiness of what we do. And we look at that and we just think, but it's not the real work, is it? It's just normal life. I mean, I raise children. I spend my life wiping smelly bottoms and snotty noses. I spend my life at work dealing with a really awkward boss. I mean, I have to cut the grass. I fill my car up with petrol. I have to get my car MOT'd. I have to get the dishes done. The laundry has to be finished and put on the line. I just do normal stuff. My life is normal. I don't do the real work. Well, well, is it possible then Is it possible that we could reframe how we look at ordinary life? Is it possible we could look at the ordinary things that we do? Our conversations in marriage, our interactions with our children, how we handle ourselves at work, and then everything else we do. Is it possible that we could look at all of those things that we do in our regular, ordinary, day-to-day lives and be able to say that there is purpose in what we do? Because I'm going to hazard a guess for a lot of us we have that low-grade sense of background guilt that makes us feel like we're lacking purpose in the things that we do. So we ask the question, is it possible that we could look into God's Word and find something there in this living and active and God-breathed book and be able to say, yes, I can find purpose in my day-to-day lives, and I can find significance, and I can find the extraordinary couched within the ordinary rhythms and routines of everyday life. I mean, can I think about my life differently? Well, the answer is, yes, we can. So the question we're asking this morning is this, how should we think about our everyday lives? And we're going to find our answer in Colossians chapter 3. So get those open. Colossians chapter 3. You can open those Bibles, uh, the black hardback ones on the ends of the pews. You can get it open on your phones if you have it on there. If you brought your Bible with you, get that open. We're in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now let's do something of a little preview here because we're asking the question, how should we think about everyday lives? And the paragraph we're going to be studying is the last few verses of chapter 3 and the first verse of chapter 4. But in order to understand that, we're going to have to understand what goes on in Colossians before that point. So let's just, by way of review, look through Colossians. Now, Colossians is a beautiful, beautiful book written by the Apostle Paul to some Christians or a church in the city of Colossae. And Paul begins this stunning letter by elevating Jesus Christ to the highest possible level. I mean, he gives us this majestic and spectacular, sublime picture of Jesus. Paul describes Jesus as being the one who is preeminent. What does that mean? The one who is above all. He is top. He is the quintessential superlative. Jesus is the very best of all. And so he gives us this beautiful description of Jesus. And then goes on to say that Jesus' ministry is one of reconciliation. And you might be thinking, all right, what's a ministry of reconciliation? Well, we know at root in the Christian message, in the Christian gospel, is that there is a fractured relationship between man and God. And this relationship needs bringing back together. It needs reconciling. So God takes the initiative in doing that. God sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserved, to defeat death by his resurrection and giving us new life. So what that means is that when we're, by the Holy Spirit, united to Jesus, we stand in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have Jesus' relationship with the Father. So we're reconciled to the Father. That's what Paul's describing. Now, Paul then continues to move through Colossians, and he gets to chapter 2. All right, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done. Ah, you're wondering what it means to live in light of belonging to Jesus. Well, it means you're alive in Jesus. That's the terminology he uses. So so we were brought to life. We were in spiritual death, and now we have spiritual life. But Paul continues in his discussion. You get to chapter 3. Here's where Paul says, right, because you belong to Jesus... Because you're united to him, because your fundamental identity is forever changed, your life is necessarily going to look different. So what he does is he uses this clothing language, this clothing illustration. So he says in chapter three, put off the things that aren't of Jesus and then put on the things that are of Jesus. So, so it's a get rid of the things that are inconsistent with your identity in Jesus. Put on the things that are consistent with your identity in Jesus. So begin to live out who you already are in Jesus. Then what Paul does in verse 18 onwards is it seems as though he's not changing direction, he's not changing gear, he's not changing topic. It seems as though Paul is saying, all right, there's Jesus, ministry of reconciliation. You belong to him, so put on the character, put on the image grow into the the, the person who is Jesus Christ and, and his character, you're wondering what that looks like in everyday life? Well, let me show you. So what Paul does at the end of Colossians is to say, all right, you're wondering what it looks like to put on the character of Jesus. What does the real work look like? Well, that's what the end of Colossians is about. Now, I know there's going to be a couple of terms in there that are going to be controversial for 21st century Western life. I get that. You've probably already seen it in verse 18. But we're going to go through that, read it in context, because I don't want it to be a distraction. We're going to read through this first, and we're asking the question, how do we think about everyday life? And then we're going to pick our way through and see what Paul is actually saying. So let's read through this. Verse 18. Wives, here we go. Submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives... And do not be harsh with them, children. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. And not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back. For the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Chapter 4 verse 1. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So what it seems to be what seems to be going on in Paul's logic is put on Jesus Christ you're wondering what that looks like. So Paul dives into the most nitty-gritty everyday interactions and situations you find yourselves in. Marriage, parenting, an employment situation and everything else. So he seems to present four categories. So let's dive into how he describes marriage and you've guessed it it's that controversial statement for 21st century western world. But you can't read verse 18 isolated from verse 19. What do we have? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, what's the word? Love your wives. Note, notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, reign supreme in your home. He, he doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands. And by the way, husbands, continue to exercise that oppressive dominance. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands, you can do whatever the heck you like in your life. She's going to pay the price for that. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Wives submit to your husband. What's the counterpoint? Husbands love your wives. Quick question. Out of submit and love, which one is more self-forgetful? Which one is more self-subjugating? Which one empties itself of its own interests more? Love or submit? It's love. So, so what's this, this everyday marriage interaction that Paul is saying, here's how to live the character of Christ in a home? Well, he's saying, wives, give your husband space to be the kind of guy God is calling him to grow into. W- wives, take a step back and encourage that man to be the kind of, Force for good and the fragrance of Christ in the home that God wants him to be. Give him some space to be that man. It is hard and he has to bear a weight. That's what the Lord is calling him to. So give him some space. And then husbands, be that force for good. Be that fragrance of Christ. Be that self-emptying individual who lays himself down so that other people in your household might have life and be supported and required to flourish. It's a tough calling. It's a heavy weight to bear, but that seems to be what Paul is calling us to. Paul seems to be saying, look, to put on Christ in your marriage looks like a synergy of self-giving. To have Christ in your marriage and Christ in your home looks like that both of you are laying yourselves down for the other one's interests. So that's in our conversation to our spouses. That's in the way we interact with it. That's the way we say sorry after a rather tense argument or discussion. That's our disposition towards them in the morning when we have absolutely no energy. That's how we love them when we come in from work and we've got absolutely nothing to give. Wives, submit your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It's a synergy of self-giving. And then what does Paul move on to? The next relationship is parenting. Children. Obey your parents. Very, very simple. Parents know more than you. That's all you need to know. But fathers, now he makes a case for the fa- right of the fathers. Probably because the fathers in Coloss- Colossi, these Christians here, needed to hear something. And what does he say? Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So he's saying, Fathers, don't be the kind of dads. And I, I know this applies to mums too, but fathers particularly. Don't be the kind of guys who crush your children. Don't be the kind of guys who criticize your kids so that when they get to the end of the day, they're wondering whether you love them or not, whether you're pleased with them. Don't don't do that. What what Paul wants us to see is that the godly home and with the godly parent is a parent who is always uplifting their children. Yeah, you're going to have to tell them off, but it's for the purpose of encouragement. It's for the purpose of guiding them in the right direction. But don't be a force That crushes them. Be a force. What is the alternative? To encourage them. What does that mean? To to support all that you can. So that's in a home. And now he moves on to a workplace scenario. My Bible translates it as masters and bondservants. Now your Bibles might have translated the word bondservant as slave. Now I kind of want to make a nuance here. Because this, this is an important distinction we need to make. Because sometimes the critique is leveled at passage like this. Look, the Bible condones slavery. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. Now, our concept of slavery today, what we know of slavery over the last few hundred years, and particularly modern-day slavery, is that it's, it's utterly deplorable and destroys the dignity of a human being. We know slavery today and over the last few hundred years is an awful, awful, oppressive oppressive system and churches all over the world are doing what they can to break this kind of thing it shouldn't be present in our world the bible is never going to say yeah the human being isn't worth much no the bible puts an enormously high price upon the head of an individual human being that's why we value human dignity that's why we fight for people that's why we elevate the needs and the rights of human beings the bible is always going to encourage us to elevate people so what's going on here in Colossians? How are we to understand that? Well, if we go back to the first century, there's going to be two types of slavery. Perhaps this is the best way to put it. There's one type of slavery, just as we know it today, that crushes people, that exploits people, that's oppressive and takes away their rights. But there is another type of slavery, and I think it's best translated as bondservant. This happened in Roman culture very often. Now, often a a rich Roman person would say to themselves, look, I need more servants around the home. So he'd probably go to a lower-class neighborhood and say to someone, look, I want to buy you to come and work for me. You can come and be a servant for me. And so there would be something of a mutual agreement where the rich Roman fellow would say, okay, you come and work for me. you get a house. You'll get lots of of good food. That very often happened. Uh, And I will look after your family as well. And once you have worked out the years that we have agreed, I will give you a nice piece of land and you will live a free life. So I think the situation Paul is talking about is, yes, it's working hard, but there's more of a mutual agreement. It's not human oppression or exploitation going on, hence why my translation, I like it, bond servants, because they're bound to work for several years, and then they'll get their land at the end of it. But look at this, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or people pleasing, but with seven Sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then masters, how are you to interact? With just act justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So he's talking about an employment context. Those who are being employed work as though you are working for the Lord and not for people. That's going to entail an integrity. That's going to entail a transparency. That's going to entail an honesty as you work for someone. And if you're in charge, if you are an employer, make sure you, what's the words, justly and fairly treat them that way. Why? Because you have a master in heaven. You're being held accountable. And then what Paul seems to say in verse 23 right there is in everything else, whatever you do, do it as though you're doing it for the Lord and not for people. You are serving the Lord Christ. So so what we see right here is four very specific contexts. Marriage, parenting, work, and in whatever you do. So that's everything else. And in these contexts, what we have is Paul describing ordinary, everyday life. So let's put this back into the context of Colossians. What's he saying? Jesus' ministry of reconciliation means that you are to put on the character of Jesus. And if you're wondering what the real work of putting on the character of Jesus looks like, then let me show you. It looks this ordinary. It looks this everyday. It looks this monotonous. It looks this everyday rhythms, routines, and responsibilities. You can't get more nitty-gritty in everyday than conversations with your spouse, the repetitions of raising children, the integrity you need to show at work, and in everything else you do. Everyday life. And what's that key statement? You Are serving the Lord Christ. So, what's Paul saying? How should we think about everyday life? Answer that everyday life is full, saturated, imbibed with purpose. And what's that everyday, ordinary life purpose? You are serving the Lord Christ. I had a professor back in the States. He was from the northeastern states of America. What a character he was. And he had that really thick Boston accent. And he would usually be 10, 15 minutes late for a lecture. And you knew when he was coming, you could hear him thumping down the hallway, a rather enormous and imposing figure. And he would fling the door open. He had his big baggy blue jeans, an overfitting Hawaiian shirt. His hair would kind of be all over the place. This guy was clever. He had an enormous mind, but an enormous heart to match. And you'd usually walk in and fling his books or his suitcase somewhere towards the desk. And as he was walking over to podium, over to the podium, he would then kind of uh, spark into a lecture or a thought for the students. And so he would come bounding in. And before he's made it to the middle of the room, he's already started spouting biblical truths to us. And it, it was wonderful. And one day, he was kind of like, he walks in, he goes, Saints, Saints, I've got something to show you. I've got to have a car. And I had to tell you, oh, R O L. And we're sitting there. Oh. R O L. <laughs> R O L, saints. You've got to know. R O L. Okay, roll. What does he mean by that? And he goes, I'll tell you, saints. He goes, Regular ordinary life. Regular ordinary life. R O L. And, and then he spends the next five, ten minutes, this is nothing to do with the topic he's teaching, reminding us that even though we're headed into ministry, and we're giving our lives for the work of the church to remember that it's in the regular, ordinary life that we are serving Christ too, that the real work includes cleaning the dishes, The real work includes refueling the car. The real work includes paying the bills. The real work includes those repetitive, frustrating conversations you have with your children. The real work includes how you interact with your spouse and your disposition towards them. The real work includes how you handle yourself in the place of employment. The real work includes everything that you do. R-O-L, he said. How should we think about everyday life? that it's filled, imbibed, saturated with purpose. And what is that purpose? You are serving the Lord Christ. Are you sitting here this morning thinking, okay, James, thank you. Heard this kind of stuff before. I I, I know I'm supposed to serve Jesus in everything that I do. And I kind of get that. I mean, I go to church pretty regularly. Show up to community groups sometimes. I, I read my Bible when I manage to find time and... I pray when life gets hard. I mean, are those the moments I'm serving Jesus? Well, no, no, what's Paul saying? It's it's everything. It's the disposition we carry. It's the purpose we bring to everything that we do. Okay, and now you're sitting there thinking to yourselves, all right, but how? How am I supposed to think then about the rhythms and routines of everyday life? How am I supposed to think about work and talking to my spouse and my kids and everything else and paying the bills? How am I supposed to think about it? Well, i am four really, really quick ways I want us to go through on how we're supposed to think about everyday, ordinary life, how we're supposed to think about the R-O-L. Here we go. The first one. See everyday life as not being second rate, okay? See everyday life as not being second rate. We have a habit of drawing a massive line of distinction, between those who are pastors, evangelists, missionaries, and everyone else. The Bible's gonna look at that distinction and say, forget about it. And sometimes we draw a dividing line between our Christian lives and the things we do for the Lord and our church attendance and everything that we do in the realm of being a Christian, then we say, well, then I've got work on the other side and then I've got kids and I've got my friends and I've got my social life and I've got my hobbies and we draw a massive line. Well, the Bible's going to look at that line again and say, forget about it. The Bible's going to say right here that all of these things are filled with the purpose of serving Jesus Christ. We serve Jesus in how we treat our loved ones. We serve Jesus in how we raise our children. We serve Jesus in our dispositions and our our practices within the workplace. We serve Jesus in everything else that we do. So get rid of that dividing line. Don't see it as being second rate. Secondly, see everyday life as being part of a bigger picture. See everyday life as being part of a bigger picture. I use the illustration of my car. Have you ever had something on your car go wrong? And you've been so surprised that something so small could make such a big difference. For us this winter, it was the fuel filter. Like a fuel filter, it doesn't really... I mean, it might filter a bit of grit out of the engine, but that's it. But when a fuel filter goes wrong, my whole car was shuddering all the way to drop the kids off at school. I couldn't believe it. Tiny little plastic thing in the engine, affect the whole lot. So the purpose of me getting in the car was to drive it to get to school. That purpose couldn't happen without the fuel filter going on. Now, the direction of our lives, the purpose of our lives right here, to serve the Lord Christ. But we recognize there's got to be many small, seemingly insignificant parts to all of our lives. But you take a few of those insignificant things away that seem unnecessary, what happens? Life starts to get very difficult. And living that purpose, well, it becomes compromised, doesn't it? So, See everyday life as being part of a bigger picture. Thirdly, see everyday life as a means to grow in Jesus. Most of the normal everyday rhythms and routines are the kinds of things that you probably don't want to do. Nobody enjoys wiping snotty noses. Nobody enjoys wiping smelly bottoms. Nobody enjoys doing the dishes. Well, you might do, but most people don't don't enjoy documents and paying the bills. When we do this kind of stuff, we are learning how to forget ourselves and put everyone else in our lives ahead of us. So, see everyday life as a way to grow in Jesus. Lastly, see everyday life as a way of living differently. We live with the world watching us, watching how we interact in our marriages, watching how we interact with our children, watching how we interact in our workplaces watching how we go about life. This is an opportunity. Recognizing that the Christian life is fused with purpose shows us, shows the world that we're different. You see, the Christian life is not about being extracted from the ordinary and put onto some extraordinary plane. The Christian life is about finding The extraordinary purpose that God gives us in the day-to-day routines, practices, rhythms, responsibilities of life. That's what Paul seems to be saying. You want to know what it's like to put on Jesus Christ in everything? Let me show you. It goes down this far into conversations with your loved ones. How you raise your kids. How you handle yourself at work. And in everything else, why? Because you're serving Christ. So how should we think about everyday life? That if we're in Jesus Christ, it is full of purpose. In the R-O-L. We are serving the Lord Christ. And we get to sing a song to finish with, but before we do, I want to pray for us in light of what we've read. Lord, we want to thank you for your word and especially how it speaks into our everyday, ordinary lives. Lord, help us to see this morning that because we belong to you, everything we do is the real work. That because we belong to you, Lord, because we're united to Jesus, that even the ordinary things we do, can be infused with an extraordinary purpose. Help us to see that our lives in belonging to you aren't about being extracted from the ordinary. No. But help us to listen to what you said through Paul. Help us see that everything we do is serving the Lord Christ. But we thank you. And we ask the help of your Holy Spirit to make this real in our lives. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.